Travel Wednesday on the hard shoulder in association with Ryanair, Europe's number one airline, offering more choice, low fares, great care. Okay, welcome back to the hard shoulder. Let's get into Travel Wednesday. As we heard earlier, Michelle Jackson of the thenoveltraveller.com uh, has been to the UK and is reporting back. First of all, a lot of people will think of the UK, think of the 1st of February and think of Brexit. Is anything different? Well, I had a, I had a chat with Pat Dawson, who's the, uh, you know, president of the ITAA. Uh, actually, he's not the president at the moment, but, you know, he's one of the main chairmen. And uh, he, he assures me that it'll mean very little change for Irish passengers. And for the next 11 months, there'll be no significant changes, um, especially for passengers who want to transfer through UK airports. The big changes will most likely be for the UK passengers travelling to continental Europe. But there's nothing to be concerned about at the moment with regards to delays or any any sort of changes. So the common travel area between our two islands remains. Yeah, All right. absolutely. Okay, yeah. so where are we off to first? Yeah. You, you, you've been to I, Newcastle. Well, it was my last little trip while the UK was part of the EU and I went over a couple of weeks ago to Newcastle-upon-Tyne, which, as you said, is, is in the northeast, And um, it's a lovely university city of about a quarter of a million population and it is set on the River Tyne with its sister city Gateshead and they're often spoken about in the one breath Newcastle Gateshead because there's only the Tyne between them and um, they're, they're, of course the famous uh, Tyne Bridge is there and there's a lovely new uh, Gateshead Millennium Bridge as well that's been built there it's ideal for a weekend if you wanted to try a stag weekend it's popular for but they're trying to get away with away from that and there is a lot more there in arts and culture and that's what I was looking for now Ivan you'd probably be going for the horse racing and the football yeah, yeah. well uh, there's two <laughs> things first of all uh, uh, St James's Park I've been to which is quite stunning in this respect the Geordie fans are absolutely uh, very emotionally committed they're the most hyped absolutely. up fans of the whole lot they're really loyal to their team but it's set in the very centre of the city and there's very steep seating. Mm. So the, the crowd are almost on top of the players and it means there's a, a tremendous atmosphere. The other thing, is, of course, is that Newcastle Racecourse is one of the few all-weather racecourses. Yeah. So there's racing all year round there. Yeah, the, and they have race. the fighting fifth hurdle and they're different races. So yeah, tell me, how would you get nice to study. Newcastle? Well, we're very well equipped in, in, the, in Dublin. We've got uh, daily flights with... Aer Lingus and with Ryanair with both of them and actually Ryanair have a, have a big sale that ends tonight at midnight it's worth looking at you'll get fares as low as 9.99 to the UK um, uh, the Aer Lingus route is run by Stobart and they have 29.99 each way so they're the the smaller arm you know of Aer Lingus and they are also flying from um, flying from Dublin direct over and they're daily with both of them so if one time of the day is too early you can go, go with the other airline whichever suits so, so cheap and accessible it is definitely it's every, now if you didn't want to fly like maybe you wanted to take the car Ivan just to give you an idea it's four and a half hours roughly the drive um, with, with all the traffic going well from Hollyhead so you could take your car over but I will say the airport is really convenient. It's about 20 minutes out on the metro. Now, the metro is an overground. It's not an underground metro. So you don't need but to hire a car or anything? Well, you don't really because it's a very accessible city. Everything is kind of around the same area. And as you said, main sites, like if you wanted to take a day trip to St. James's Park and, you know, do the tour, you, you know, you, you can walk to all these sites. All so right. it's, it's very accessible. Now, now, 
here was I ready to go race and go to the footy but you want to drag me in a different oh, direction I, I'd be bringing you to the art gallery I've been trying to get right. you cultured for how many months now so so it, they have an absolutely superb museum which blew me away it's called the Baltic Museum of Contemporary Art it's set on the gates head side of the city so I just strolled over the Millennium uh, Bridge there and the entry was free and there were about five different exhibitions on over four different flowers it's an old 1930s flower mill and it, it's it's kind of a bit of similar to the Tate on the south bank of the Thames. You know, it, it's, it's a lovely old building that's been converted really sympathetically to its environment. And it's really it's really a great buzz in it. And um, I was approached there. I was going around the exhibition. There's a really good one called Animalesque and it's on until the 19th of April and it's running at the moment. And I spent far too long in it because I just couldn't be pulled away. It's all art. It's an animal art. No, this is the interesting thing. Is it stuffed animals? It's nothing like that, Ivan. It's a reflection of how how similar we are to animals. So you can see. So I had a chat with the curator, uh, Rod. Rod Rod. Rod Urquhart. And he's an ex-policeman and he was passionate about art. Now, let's take a listen to our Rod. Yerkes is a language that was devised and invented by a guy called Robert Yerker, who's an American primatologist. It's a language he devised to speak to the bonobos, the chimpanzees, and the gorillas. Now, the bonobos are a smaller version of a chimpanzee, but more intelligent. So he was looking at the way animals communicate with each other, and he wondered if they could communicate across species and speak to us. So he's devised this language to speak to them, and each tile that you see on here represents a word. So it's like a, a lexicon. So to make it a true language, there has to be some kind of cognitive thought process. So you wouldn't have a picture of an apple to depict an apple. You'd have a shape or a word or some other sign to depict it. So he then had to teach the apes each sign, as he would have to teach the other scientists it. So they learnt it from base roots. So similar to that you would teach a child when they first start to learn things. They've got no language, no concept of any kind of alphabet or words. You have to teach them from the very beginning. Yeah, well, Rod was explaining to me that these beautiful hieroglyphics, they were like square paintings and some of them were words, most of them were just images. You know, the, he was explaining there the significance of them and how it, has, it is used commonly. And the baby chimps are actually uh, growing up with this and using it as a language to talk to their mums and to the scientists and everything. So that was a fascinating thing to learn. Right. And, and there were, there's lots of other kind of, um, you know, okay, environmental that, that, issues. That was the Baltic Museum yeah. of Contemporary Art. I think I might give that a miss. Okay, <laughs> it was now. well worth a visit. Okay, the River Tyne is the yeah. heart of this. It is. Uh, it's got massive bridges, isn't that right? Well, well it, do you know they're not as massive? And we, we kind of think they're massive because of course the Tyne Bridge is so similar to the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And they were designed by the same architects at the, the turn of the century, the turn of the, the, the 20th century. Um, but it was kind of like a, a trial run for the Sydney Harbour Bridge because it's a third the size. And although it was designed later, it was finished earlier. So people say it came first, but it didn't actually. So it's a design. kind of engineering it, it, it's an engineering feat, yeah. Okay, so where else bridge. did you go in Newcastle yeah, well, on your stay? Yeah, well, uh, we took time out to go to the Living Museum of the North, which is called Beamish, and this this absolutely fascinated me, and it's somewhere really is worth putting in a full day, because... Um, it was the vision of Dr. Frank Atkinson, who was the founder and director of the museum, and he tried to recreate uh, living villages representing how 
life was in England during the Georgian period, during the 1940s, during the Edwardian age. And, you know, he was inspired by Scandinavian folk museums that he he visited in the 1950s. So this year, Beamish is celebrating its 50th year. And you'll enter the park and there's all sorts of activities going on. But an old-fashioned tram, like the old Hillahoke tram used to be, and the old trams you'd see going up and down O'Connell Street um, you know, the early part of the 20th century. Uh, you take one of these and it brings you right around the site. It's absolutely huge. It's 300 um, acres in size. And it, 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 you can visit an, an actual coal mining village. And these, like the village was literally um, di- dissembled from a village and taken there and reassembled again. So it's so authentic in every detail. And they collected artefacts from people in the area. So, I mean, and this attention to detail is so good that Downton Abbey actually filmed their garage scenes in the Edwardian village. And when you go in there, you can actually, you know, uh, all the curators are going around dressed in the period costume. So it's, a, it's a piece of, of history, it's really. It's living what, history. Yes, right. Yeah, okay. and, and it's a fascinating place. Now, it's £14.50 uh, for students, £19.50 for adults. That ticket lasts all year long. You can go in and out a couple of times. I love the way they put 50p at the end. They always have their 50p's mm. and 20p's in the UK. But, um, you know, it, it was So there's miners' super. cottages as well. Yeah, and, and like the, we were told the history, like one of the, the men was a miner. He was dressed up one of the curators and he was saying, you know, he was of Irish descent and there were 10 of them living in the cottage and you can see how grim you know their conditions were and, and the death toll rate you know infancy death toll was, was horrific um, and the life of and there's actually a working mine there which you can go down to and, and visit it's closed this time of year but it'll be open now I think in March Now so, is, is fish and chips a, a popular working uh, man's well, well they actually have a, a fish and chip shop in Beamish which uses the old beef dripping and the big thick chips and they're wrapped up in newspaper and it's the most authentic fish and chips I've ever tasted. The same with the bakery. They had the old fashioned style, you know, like like coconut um, sponges and little little cakes that you would have had and, and pies. You know, of course, the traditional pies were so popular. So you really get, um, and I got my photograph taken up in traditional costume in, in the, the old Edwardian gear with the hat and everything. Okay. It's a really fun, fun experience. Living history is what they call it. And so it's they have well a school and a chapel and everything there. Abs- absolutely. There's, there's so much. To, it's a huge, huge site. Now, one of the iconic uh, aerial views of of Newcastle and of the north of England yeah. is the Angel of the North. Oh, yeah. Just tell us about that. Well, no, actually, and actually, I, I, I didn't know how I was going to get to see it. I uh, didn't realise geographically it's very convenient. It's just outside in Gateshead. And you, by getting my taxi to Beamish, we just pulled off the motorway and took a, took a quick shot there. It's Anthony Gormley's, of course, one of his most famous contemporary. He's a contemporary sculptor uh, who has won the Tate Award and, and all sorts of... Um, all sorts of wonderful accolades. And his sculptures are all over the UK and in Holland and other places. But uh, the, the, the significance of the Angel of the North is absolutely massive. It's like four double-decker buses high and it's the wingspan of a jumbo jet. And they built it on top of what was an old coal site. So they had to dig down, dig down about about 30 metres right into the ground to make it stable. And and there's, there's kind of, according to, to him, the significance of the Angel was threefold. It was to um, signify what went on beneath the earth and the, and the sacrifice the coal miners 
was made, you know, working for two centuries there. And, and secondly, it's to kind of grasp the transition from the industrial age to the information age. And when was it built? Was a, it, it's actually, it's, it was the beginning of the, of the this, was it 1994, I think? Okay, was, relatively was recently. Relative, very recently, yeah. Okay. But um, he, has, he has other great sculptures all around the UK. Another place in Liverpool uh, on the beach outside Liverpool as well worth seeing. There's all these, these large figures that disappear when the tide comes in. I mean, he's a fascinating artist. He's worth looking up. All right. No, so I'm st- spending two or three nights in yeah. Newcastle. Where would you recommend to eat? Well, it's, it's very cheap. That's the main thing to note. It really is very cheap. And the same for your pints of beer. You're talking about three pounds, four, you know, four pounds. It's very reasonable. But if you want to go somewhere really fancy, and you know I like fancy mm. life, and, um, the Blackfriars is one of the oldest restaurants in the UK. And I met with Andy Hook, who was the owner of it. And um, he was recently awarded the Taste of the North. Um, uh, and is this to do with real friars? It, it, it was originally um, a, a 13th century Dominican friary. So, um, so anyway, he, he told me about the history of it and I had a little chat with him. So Blackfriars was established in 1239, so it was kind of 780 years old. And uh, we're in the refectory, which has been in continuous use as a dining room for 780 years. And so it's um, in one of the oldest uh, dining rooms, I would hope, in the UK, if, if not the, uh, the oldest. And our understanding, our research is really all about how the Dominicans would have lived, how they would have eaten, where they would have got their food from, which would have all been local, seasonal, by default. Food, very little would have come in from the uh, continent and, and further afield, although some did, and we try and have an understanding of the, of the spice trade, which was uh, still quite uh, important at that time, but the rest of it was all kind of local uh, types of food, and we work with uh, Durham University and their Institute of Medieval and Early Modern Studies, IMEMS, uh, where we try and understand um, what was being served and the etiquette at the time and who would have come and the people that would have visited um, here at Blackfriars, so people like uh, Henry III who helped Blackfriars get established at the time, um, Edward III when he came up, when Edward Edward Balliol of Scotland came to pay homage to him in 1334, so there's kind of a long history of monarchs visiting uh, uh, Blackfriars and it's uh, it's all fascinating and what we try and do is pay homage to uh, that at uh, at Blackfriars with what we do so all of our food is local it's seasonal we try and think about the types of food that they would have eaten preparations and so on so it's great That's Andy uh, Hook the boss and the owner of Blackfriars Restaurant which gets a big thing, thumbs up. But now say if you're just going for a stag and a mm. booze up, where would you go for yeah. drinking? Well, well, you know, the centre of the town is <clears throat> is actually around the Metro Station Monument which is Eldon Square and there's a really cool bar there, the Botanist Bar. It's absolutely gorgeous and it's under, under a Georgian dome. Um, really recommend that one. Then there's this really cool place called Stack which is only open two years and it's like a, a, a pile of old shipping con- Containers, but it's very, very cool. And in the centre of it, there are performance areas where you'll get live entertainment, and you'll get discos, and you'll get kind of. It, well, sorry, really, what type of live uh, entertainment? Well, oh, oh, musicians and singers, oh, right. of course. No, I thought yeah, you come on. Else. Oh no! Oh, no, no, Ivan, not, shame on you! Dancers. Shame on you! I went to this in the middle of the day, and I, I there's a lovely food. There's kind of a food hall area, and that, and there's lots to eat. Because you know, for stags, they like the dancers. To oh come well, now I don't didn't look into that, Ivan. All right. So where would you stay? Yeah. Well, I. I stayed very conveniently on the quayside in the Copthorne Hotel, which is um, which is run by a lovely Scottish man, Ken Ellington, who was really passionate about his customer service, and he really wanted to, 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 to sell Newcastle to me. And he, 
he really did a great job of it. And all the staff, it was kind of like going to Liverpool or kind of other cities where, you know, the locals are all working there. They're all, they love their town and they're delighted to see us. Okay, let's take a listen to Ken. A big benefit that we've got is that we're in a peaceful spot of the quayside. You've got proximity to the city centre within a couple of minutes. So you've got access to the Baltic Museum, to Sage Gateshead, St James, which are just across the river from us. You've got St James's Park, the home of Newcastle United FC, which is five minutes up at the top of the hill. You've got a multitude of museums within the city centre itself. You've got access to Tynemouth at the coast within a ten or rather within a ten mile drive um, or taxi ride. You've got access to Northumberland on the west, to Durham on the south. Uh, you've got access to Annick and to Bamburgh and to Holy Island on the north. Uh, it's a very well located part of the UK. In terms of where we are here, you've got access to the shops within five minutes uh, and it's a very easy five minute access. The focus for us and for Newcastle as a whole is very much a kind of cultural beacon whereby the proximity of access to all these things around Newcastle is coupled with the fact that Newcastle itself is a thriving, bustling, engaged city with so many things to do. And the nicest thing, having moved out, I moved on from Scotland uh, 22 years ago, I have never met anyone from the North East who has a bad word to say about the North East. All right, that was Ken of the Copthorne Hotel, 70 quid a night. So any other, uh, briefly, uh, attractions in the centre of Newcastle? Well, well, Grey's Monument, you can actually visit that. It's open at certain times of the year, and that's a homage to Earl Grey, who the famous tea, he was a a fantastic politician who brought about the abolition of um, slavery in the British Empire. And so, and of course, the tea was named after him because of a gift he received of a special tea. Um, So that's worth popping by and taking a look at. There's also Granger's Market, which is a fabulous covered market, similar to the one in in, in Cork that we have. Uh, You'll get cobblers, florists, jewellers and haberdasherers and that lovely place okay. to visit. So, so if someone's organising a stag or organising yeah. a, a, a couple's weekend, yeah. is there a website to go to? I would definitely go to newcastlegateshead.com All and, that, and you will get everything on that website and you'll get the, the, the connections to the Copthorne Hotel and to everywhere, the Baltic and everywhere else I've mentioned on the show. So. All right, Newcastle upon Tyne, the delights of the Geordies that you never knew about. <laughs> My sincere thanks, thanks for giving Simon. us that insight into an unexpected treat, but a lot of people uh, would know it as a, a central stag venue. Uh, My thanks, as always, to Michelle Jackson, and do check out her website, thenoveltraveller.com, if there's any aspect, or do send us an email to the hard shoulder if you have any questions uh, or queries. Text us 53106 or email thehardshoulder at newstalk.com. And that's it from us on the show this evening. My thanks to the team for today's show. Mark Simpson, Dan Flanagan, Ashling Moore, Roisin Davis and John O'Donovan. Michael Quilligan and Peter Moroy were on sound. Off the ball is next. Yes, and I'm off to Wicklow now because we're doing the last of the constituency outside broadcasts at 11... It's actually from 10pm tonight uh, on Virgin Media 1 with Matt. And don't forget, on our final election coverage before the moratorium, tomorrow's hard shoulder coming to you from four o'clock at Cork, the real capital, on News Talk. Until then, have a great night and thanks for listening. Music.